0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with author Laurel K. Hamilton. Laurel is an American multi genre writer. She is best known as the author of two series of stories Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter, and Mary Gentry. Her New York Times best selling Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter series centers on Anita Blake, a professional zombie raiser, vampire executioner, and supernatural consultant for the police. Which includes novels, short story collections, and comic books. Six million copies of Anita Blake novels are in print, and her New York Times best selling Mary Gentry series centers on Meredith Gentry, Princess of the Unseelie Court of Fairy, a private detective facing repeated assassination attempts. Both fantasy series follow their protagonists as they gain in power and deal with the dangerous realities of worlds in which creatures of legend live. Laurel was born in rural Arkansas, but grew up in northern Indiana with her grandmother. Her education includes degrees in English and biology from Marion College, which is now called Indiana Wesleyan University. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Laurel K. Hamilton.
1: Hi, David. Good to be here.
0: I'm so glad you are. I uh, hope you're having a great day so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, hope the same for you.
0: Yeah, so, so far so good, um, you know, <laughs> as far as Mondays go. <laughs> Uh yep, yeah, uh, yeah. My uh, my my wife's kind of getting back into the groove of. Uh, she's a first grade teacher, so she's up getting her classroom ready for who knows how long they're going to be going back to school in person, and uh, and so I'm left with the eight week old today. So uh, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> well,
1: uh, eight weeks old is a very interesting age. Uh, right now, they should sleep mostly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, luckily, uh, my mother-in-law is over here, so she's making sure she stays asleep, or at least for the time being.
1: <laughs> so. Aw, very cool to have family close by, and good luck to your wife uh, heading back to school. That is a, a very, uh, a much more interesting job, even than normal this year.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a tall task, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I get the introverted job of being able to work from home, so uh, nothing's really changed for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I totally get that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so have you been pretty busy today with uh, with interviews and so forth since your new book's coming out tomorrow? I
1: have, I have. It's it's been it's been back to back, but you know that's a wonderful thing.
0: Absolutely, especially you know with with the days now where you're not able to do a whole lot of in person. I'm sure you can still get some signed copies out if if, if you need to, but other, otherwise it's hard to, uh, I guess, really get face to face time.
1: It is, um, and we just finished signing uh, several thousand copies of Sucker Punch and sending them out so that uh, some of the places could have signed copies for people.
0: Man. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure your uh, your wrist is recovering.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm 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 going to go. I, I think I need the arm of a major league pitcher, <laughs> to be able to sign as many books uh, that people people want.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, I guess you'll need to look at their training camps and see kind of how they warm up, so you can get ready for the next <laughs> one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, well, just kind of, uh, first off, just want to, to get to know you a little bit more. So can you tell me about, you know, growing up, going through school, uh, kind of how you started writing and, and I guess how you decided to become a full-time writer?
1: Well, I started writing, uh, started trying to write stories around age 12 and didn't finish anything because I was trying to imitate, I think Louisa, um, uh, Louisa, uh, uh May Elcott, Little Women, uh, Little Men, because she was the first female author I could find that had supported her family, especially back in that day and age. That was a pretty amazing feat, Uh, supported her entire extended family. So I tried to imitate that. didn't work. I finally, I found by accident in like the drugstore, grocery store area near me, A short story collection called Pigeons from Hell by Robert E. Howard, creator of Conan. And it was the first horror I ever read, first fantasy I ever read, first heroic fantasy, dark fantasy. And I read that and I thought, not only do I want to be a writer, but I want to be this type of writer. And that was 13 or 14 uh, at 14, I wrote my first story and finished it. It was completely horror. It was it was a almost good grotesquerie. It was, it was killing the entire family as bloodily as possible. Only the baby lived. It crawled off into the forest with the implication that it was going to starve to death and die. And the best thing that my uh, my uncle did was he read the story and patted me on the head and said, "That's really interesting." and and good job, and didn't get all shocked or horrified <laughs> that I had just done, wrote this bloody, bloody story. And um, so after that, I started writing, I started writing other stories. It was all horror. Um, I was very lucky in my own teachers. Um, I had I took uh, freshman writing, In high school at Oak Hill High School, Miss Sheeline, Miss Beverly Sheeline, was the teacher. And I wrote my first vampire story in that class. I and when she and she wrote on the the manuscript, when she handed it back, I got an A, she says, You scared me. And I I was a very shy 14-year-old that lived in the middle of farm country. So the fact that I'd scared an adult with my story was just the best thing ever. <laughs> and, and it was just exactly the kind of encouragement I needed. So then I had another teacher and I have blanked on her name, uh, which I am, I am deeply unhappy with myself for, but I have blanked on her name. I'm going to have to go get out my yearbook, I guess. Um, and, uh, she, she was one of my English teachers, Damn it! I really wish I could remember her name right now. But she had gotten like uh, the writer, Writer's Digest that you get for a penny when they were getting rid of them back in, back then, and she got an armful and gave them to me. And that's how I learned to do professional submission, and I, it helped me find uh, the Writer's uh, Writer's Marketplace that comes out every year, still in book form and Writer's Market, and I started submitting, by 17 I was submitting uh, my first stories and getting my first rejections. Those are always fun. And (laughs) my my first stories were done on uh, a typewriter. So, you know, uh, I still have that. I still have that typewriter. And so I was clicking my rejection slips and it didn't discourage me because I'd read an article in one of the writing magazines by Ray Ray Bradbury. And he said to pick a small room of your house and paper it with your rejection slips. And that when you had papered the entire room, you would have written the crap out and you would have the gold because you have to write the bad stuff out before you can get your good stuff out. And it helped me really not be bothered by being rejected. Uh, My grandmother would not let me uh, wallpaper the bathroom, by the way. (laughs) With my rejections um then i went into college and i went into the writing program and i was asked to leave uh i was asked to leave sophomore year um i was asked to leave the writing program by the head of the writing program because i was a corrupting influence on the other writing students what do I mean by that? It was a small Christian college. And though my grandmother had not raised me Christian, her religion was angry with God. Um, it was the closest place I could go to college and stay at home and take care of her and be with her. So I had submitted both uh, a vampire story and then a Lovecraftian, you know, passier, Uh So it wasn't like I tried to pretend I was writing something else. So they accepted me in the writing program, writing what I wrote, and then I would learn later that she thought she could cure me of writing genre. So I'm in an upper-level writing class because I tested out of some of the early stuff uh, sophomore year, and she, before she kicked me out, the the she had said that all genre, she would no longer accept genre four story assignments in this class. That it's all garbage, and I raised my hand. How she must have hated me by now. Um, and I said to her, I said, well, what about C.S. Lewis? We're a Christian campus. C.S. Lewis is going to get a pass. And she says, well, no, that doesn't count. I said, well, how about Shakespeare? She says, what about Shakespeare? I said, well, the ghost of Macbeth and, uh, you know, Midsummer Night's Dream has the fairies. And, she's, and, and I said, uh, the, the ghost in Hamlet and the witches in Macbeth. She gave me all that. She said, okay, Shakespeare gets a pass. Um, I, had, I said, how about Dickens? A Christmas Carol. She conceded. And then I pushed it. And I said, and Moby Dick is just a monster movie. And she said, shut up and sit down. <laughs> I persisted in writing genre and turning it in. By the time we were halfway through the semester, half the class was doing genre. One person was doing romance. One person was doing Westerns. Another person was doing fantasy. Half the class had gotten on board with my, uh, my, my rebellion. And that is why she took me to her office and she she talked to me for over two hours. She sliced me, diced me verbally, told me I would never write, told me how terrible I was at it and did her best to crush me. Um, I came out in hysterics. And I would not write again for over two years. I would not even attempt it, even though i had been writing constantly since I was a little girl. So she and People say well, have you sent her how successful you are? Have you sent her a book and shown you know how wrong she was? I said you don't understand She didn't mean that I couldn't write what she meant was that I was going to write Trash that she didn't want me to write She was going to either make me the kind of writer she wanted or she was gonna break me and I said I have gone on to done exactly what she feared. I've gone on to corrupt millions <laughs> and uh, So, yeah, um, I would then finish up my biology degree in two years because I thought I was never going to be a writer at that point. And I went to and it always had been my second love, sometimes my first love, depending on what I was doing. And uh, so that's how I got two degrees in four years and then uh, moved to Los Angeles with my first husband and his job and got a corporate job, as most of us do. And I would, at the end of the day, I couldn't write at all. I was too used up. So I would, I'm not a morning person or wasn't at that time. I would make myself get up at 5 a.m. so I could write for at least an hour before work. And I wrote most of my first novel, two to four pages at a time, an hour a day, five days a week before I went into work. Um, The thing is, you can't edit as you go. If you you let your inner critic get in the way, that hour is going to be used up you know, just make, beating yourself up. So once you have hundreds of pages sitting beside your typewriter, it looks like a book. You can fix it. Once it's written, you can fix it. My first draft, and I still do this somewhat. uh, My first draft had, like, uh, capital notes notes. What does 15th century underwear look like? Because all I had to do was get her to bed. I just couldn't undress her. Well, don't run to the library or get online just leave that blank, move on. If it's something you have to know to write a scene, then fine. But most of the time it's not. Write your first draft and then do more research later. Because I know so many writers get trapped in it has to be perfect. No, it doesn't. Your first draft can be absolute crap. Um, I actually have a 70-30 rule. 70% of the first draft is, can be is usually garbage. 30% is gold. But you have to write all hundred percent of it to get the gold. And then you can rewrite it. I rewrote my my first novel before it sold. I rewrote it eight. I I, I had eight drafts. I'd written it eight different times and before it sold. Goodness. <laughs> so uh you can always fix it, but you can't fix a blank page. And I'm not the first writer to say that one. Yeah. Um so sold my first novel. And thought here it goes I am going to you know I ha- I'm gonna write fantasy elves, dwarves, and dragons I'm, this is my career and then the bottom fell out of the fantasy market and the editor didn't want the second book so I looked around in all my short stories that hadn't sold but I liked and I had a short story called those who seek forgiveness with a character I believe she was still Anita black originally not even Anita Blake and she raised zombies and the story had gotten some of the best rejection slips, but it hadn't sold, which should have clued me in. But I thought there's a world here. I could play in this. And I wrote the first book, and it was rejected over 200 times because it was the late 1980s. Bear that in mind. So Buffy hadn't even come on TV. Nobody knew what to do with the book. Um the mystery houses thought it was science fiction, science fiction thought it was fantasy, fantasy thought it was horror. They would even recommend editors at other houses for it to go to. And finally, Penguin Putnam saw it and bought it. And, and uh, now it's Penguin, Penguin Random House. But uh, And for, they gave me a three-book contract. And I remember to this day looking at that three-book contract and thinking at least there'll be three books in the series. It won't be like my first series that died with one book. And I can't tell you how happy I was to know there would be at least three books in the series. And now here we are at number 27. How great is that? That's is amazing. amazing. What a, what a, what a story. story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, especially especially
0: your college professor. I, it's, uh, but the fact that you challenged her so much, I guess, <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Oh, I
1: was a thorn in her side, absolutely. I just didn't realize how big a pain I'm, pain I was until later.
0: Right, right, yeah, and, and I guess uh, I guess you're pretty happy that you know Buffy and stuff did come on a little bit later too, because I'm sure that helped a little bit of your readership, especially early on.
1: I I I think Buffy helped, and um, uh, but I was still being told even after Buffy came out because the books took book came out in '93. I don't remember when Buffy came out. Ooh. Ninety-two, so it came out just before the, <laughs> it hit the shelves, but it had already sold by then. Um, I remember one rejection slip said, "Should leave the genre mixing to Charles Delent, who is a fine writer in his own right, but a very different writer."
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness gracious! Um, so, as far as as far as writing, where do you typically find yourself? Do you uh, do you have a home office that you write in? Do you uh, do you like to go out and about? I mean, I guess prior to COVID, did you enjoy going out and about to write or? Has it always kind of no,
1: been the same? No, um, I, I I have a home office. Um, I've written I've written anywhere I could over the years. I, I had a, a computer in the corner of the living room for a long time. I've written on kitchen tables, but I'm looking up now, of course, that I have an office of my own. I have written books out. Out and about on um, in in uh, in restaurants over the years. If I'm really struggling in the office, sometimes a change of scenery would help. But there's no change of scenery now. Yeah, I know,
0: right. <laughs> and who knows when we'll have a change of scenery again? Oh, goodness. Um, so as far as your writing process, you know, obviously, um, it's changed over the course of the decades uh, since you began. Uh, Have you, have you kind of settled into a rhythm, like a daily word count? Uh, Do you have a specific, you know, I have to have a cup of coffee and breakfast before I start writing. Uh, You know, do do you have a typical day?
1: Um, I have, I do page count, not word count. Uh, And that goes back to my first stories being written on a, on a typewriter where you don't get, it doesn't give you page number. It gives you, it's easier to count pages than words. Um, my first book was written on a computer word processor. So I do four pages is my minimum, four pages, four pages a day. But once I get going, it's between four and eight is an average, but towards the end of a book, um, uh, Robert Frost described a poem uh, like putting uh, an ice cube in a skillet. And when you hit the right note, it slides down and melts and it's just, it's just like watching gravity, You you go after it. I can do 20 pages a day, multiple days, towards the end of a book. Um, I've learned, I'm really the exception to the rule, uh, because I can do 20 pages and, and everything, but it takes me a block of four hours. I need that block of four hours. Now, strangely, I've timed this, I've paid attention. The two hours beginning, especially early in a book, are not productive the first two hours are me going, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. It's me fighting my way through. Um, even back at the very beginning with my first novel, the first thing I would write every day was I would sit down barely awake and I would go, I would go, I can't write today. And I would list all the reasons I couldn't write today. I would complain that I was too tired, to this, too that. And a page and a half to two pages in of complaining And just the physical thing of being at the desk and typing and the words come alive. The muse looks over your shoulder and go, "Okay, you're serious. Let's do this. And I still to this day start off by I don't sit down at the computer and it just automatically flows like water from a cleft rock. That is just not how it works for me most of the time. Mm -hmm. Towards the end of a book, it does. And I've learned to not make agreements for times to deliver books at the end of another book. I should only do that on the page count at the beginning of a book because that's more accurate. Um,
0: I, 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 I like what you said though, about <laughs> typing out all the reasons you don't want to write or you can't write. Because <laughs> I feel like uh, every time I try to start something because I have an idea up on my head, I'll write, say, a 1,000 or 2,000 words, and then I just never come back to it because I always have the – Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I need to do this. And but I never actually write it down. So I don't actually do the physical act of writing or typing.
1: The um, I think it, I think, again, it's Ray Bradbury that says the muse cannot resist a working writer. Hmm. But you have to decide how you work for me. I need to get to the desk first thing in the morning. And I think it's because I train myself up this way uh, working in corporate. So it, it's just easier. It's easier at the beginning of a day to to work for me. Mm-hmm. And some writers, as I've gotten older, I work more late at night, but um, I've always been kind of all over the board. I used to think that my switching to writing, um, I worked around school when my daughter was school age. Before my daughter, I would get up in the morning, I would finally get to my desk about 10. I would work through, if I worked to three, I knew it would be a great day if I skipped lunch. And then if it was really hot, I would go back after dinner. Then I had my daughter, and as you're learning, that changes everything. Yep. And I wrote when I could. If she slept, I was writing. Um, and we didn't have family close, so it was really hard. Um, I would not go back to write until, book, book, until she was three months old. And then we found that luckily for us, very luckily, we had a wonderful woman that lived across the street that act, watched her grandchildren and a few other children. And so she was able to take Trinity for a few hours a day. And that helped a great deal. Um, but uh, it was funny. One editor thought that be, having a baby would make me soft, make me lose my edge. Um, the first book I wrote after I had my daughter was Lunatic Cafe. I believe it had the highest kill count at that point to date in the series because lack of sleep makes you mean.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> I can attest to that for sure.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, don't it's really hard the first year. So so for you and everybody out there with new babies, don't beat yourself up. About the fact that you're having trouble working, you have a newborn. That is work. Yeah. Um, and the big thing though is you have to protect your writing time. Find out when you work best, and protect that time. Protect that time. And and you know if if you so many people feel like they need permission to protect their time, especially creative time. You have to be your own gatekeeper early on. You have to, if, and, and if you want it bad enough, you'll make time for it. If you don't want it bad enough, you won't. Mm -hmm. And, and that's true of going to the gym or anything else. Um, but, but if you get up and you give yourself an hour to just sit there and go, here's all the reasons I can't do it. Do that day after day. And I almost, almost without fail, I will guarantee you that eventually you'll sit down and you'll start writing. Instead of complaining on paper.
0: Hmm. All right. So, uh, so tell me, I, I guess, a little bit about uh, who your writing influences are. Maybe you know past, and maybe even some of your present writing influences.
1: Um, well, uh, I was. I I already talked uh, about Robert E. Howard. Uh, he was the first fantasy and dark fantasy I ever read, and then I found Edgar Allan Poe, H. P. Lovecraft. Uh, Andre Norton the fact that she was a woman uh, writing science fiction was very important to me when I found her Uh, and there was a bio in the back of one of her books you know you always think the bio is it important did you read well as a very young teenager I read that she had had to drop out of school because she had illnesses and she had cats and that made her more real to me and I thought if a real person can do this maybe I can too um, and then I read, uh, in junior high, I read Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice. And I read, um, I read, uh, Salem's Lot by Stephen King. And I, those two things probably were the most important two books I read, um, along with Sheridan Lumpenew's, uh, Carmilla, for my vampires, as far as writing goes, writing influences, um. And uh, for the Mary Gentry series, uh, War for the Oaks by Emma Bull, if Emma Bull had written more in that series rather than have it a standalone book, I might never have felt compelled to write the Mary Gentry series because I just kept waiting for another book in that series. And when you go back and read it, you'll go, really? But yes, that was the book that made me go, I want more things like this. And if you can't find it, eventually you should write it yourself. and um you know uh robert b parker the spencer series that was where i learned dialogue uh i didn't actually read mysteries until after i'd gotten out of college um robert b parker um the uh travis mcgee series by uh john john mcdonald john d mcdonald shoot I'm trying to think, cause as we all know, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the initials count. Right. <laughs> uh, John, I am correct. John D. McDonald, the Travis McGee series, but Robert B. Parker's Spencer series was actually the most pivotal for me. And I also read Sue Grafton and, uh, Vio Marcharsky. and, um, no, Sue Grafton is, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on her private eye. And then, um, Sarah Paritesky, which was Vio Marcharsky. I read all that in a very short space of time. And one of the things that was interesting to me is that the gentleman got to curse and sleep around and kill people and not feel bad about it. And the women, very sanitized, no sex, uh, very rarely cursed. And if they killed somebody, they had to feel really, really bad about it. And it was a big deal. And I thought, why is there such a difference between how women and men are handled in this this genre? And I decided I wanted to write a character that would change that, would even the playing field. I actually had a well-known editor, mystery editor, tell me after the the Anita Blake series had become um, successful, I actually had her tell me um, that if I had written just straight mystery with none of the horror elements, that I could not have had Anita be as violent or as sexual, that even, even, even 10 years into the series, the mystery genre still doesn't let women do that I hope that's changed but I don't know that there's still such a disparity on on the fact that it's a female main character in a female writer and the female main characters just don't get to be as violent and as the men it's not okay but because I have horror elements because it's a horror series as well then I can be as violent as I want because horror lets you do that right yeah. uh, so that was interesting to know. That was interesting to know that that, that there's still that disparity in straight mystery. Um, so those were, those were a lot of the early, uh, early influences. I don't have a lot of writing influences anymore because I, I write what I want to read. Mm-hmm. I, I write the way I write. My voice is sound and secure. So I'm not as easily influenced by other people. And um, I read a lot more nonfiction. Than I used to, and so if I ever write nonfiction, I'll have a different list, um, and I can have people that I can say this influenced me on how I did this. But for my fiction, um, I you can still hear the echo of Robert B. Parker's dialogue in, in Anita's voice. You can still hear the echo of that, and through Parker, I found uh, Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. So Anita is very much the you know the granddaughter of the original Hardboiled Private Detectives, very much so.
0: I like that. I mean, you know, I, I can imagine you know at this point in your writing career that you know you don't have many current uh, influences uh, because you've kind of you know you've obviously got your own voice now and uh, you, like you said you write what you want to read so. Uh, I, I can imagine that the, uh, the pool is very small.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, I, it takes a lot for me to read fiction because it's like a bestman's holiday. I mean, I'm more likely to read, um, cozy, a cozy mystery than I am to read anything in my genre.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Hmm. So, uh. You're set to release Sucker Punch tomorrow, uh, which is August fourth, and it's your 27th Anita Blake Vampire Hunter novel. Yep. Just got if you just like step back and realize that. I mean, I, I'm sure you you do this every year when you <laughs> release the new one, but like that's a big number.
1: It is. It is. Um, I am grateful. I am grateful every book that not only am I writing exactly what I want to write but so many people want to read it. And the fact that I, I think the fact that I love what I write, that, that I didn't jump on a bandwagon of popularity, that I am literally writing the stories I want to write is one of the reasons that the series is so long-lived because I don't get bored. I, I love Anita. I love the world. I love the, the larger cast. And I am learning something new with every book. Because it's just that big a world.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you you may end up catching up to uh, to R. A. Salvatore. You know he's written I think thirty five or thirty seven novels uh, in his Dritz uh, Dungeons and Dragons series. Uh, he just I think released the last book of it, of the, one of the his newest trilogy last week. So you uh, you may catch up to him as one of, I think the longest running <laughs> single character series.
1: Um, I don't know what number he's at. So I don't know on that. Um, uh, actually, I would say Nero Wolf, uh, by, uh, Rick Stout has the largest number because if you count the collected books, which are individual, uh, what we would think of as novellas now, but books used to be smaller. He has 70, I think 70 something. Wow. Okay. So, so that's, that's still the, the king as it were, for number of single-character books in a series for me.
0: That is impressive. That, 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 is, that, is that like the number to beat, quote-unquote?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said, is is that
0: like the number to beat is 70?
1: Um, I would love to say that, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I, his books were a fourth of the size of mine. Ah. And so if you do a word count, I, I'm there. But if you do on individual books or stories uh, like small novels, then then if I if I could if I could write that short, yes, but I don't write short. Yeah, I I really don't. I'm not good at it. And so I don't know. I don't know. I used to think that that was my my goal, but I'm starting to do the math and I'm going, can I live that long? (laughs) You know, am I going to make it?
0: Right, you have to put out a couple a year, three or four a year, you know, just to, to make sure that you can you can hit that total.
1: And uh, you know, I and even I, I mean, if you look at the the page number, my books average between uh, six hundred and a thousand pages in manuscript form. There's no way to do for a while there there's no way to do that four times a year for a while there for 10 years i did one mary book and one anita book a year for 10 years and uh that was just a lot that was a lot i was at two different publishers though so each person wanted their book now my publishers have merged and like you know all good marriages everybody shares better
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, so for readers who may not be familiar with your Anita Blake series, can you give and, and, and this is probably a big ask cuz it's such a long series, but can you give a little bit of a background to the story and uh, maybe some, you know, other authors or series that you find it meshes well with that maybe you could, you know, win some fans over?
1: I I'm not going to understand the second question.
0: <laughs> like you know, uh, maybe another author you would say if you like my books, you would also like theirs, or vice versa.
1: I don't read in my own genre.
0: See I, I, just, I knew that you know, question would be um, hard.
1: Yes, <laughs> I, I I can tell you I can tell you the writers that have told me that that their books wouldn't exist unless they were inspired by mine. I can do that. That would work. Yeah. Um, Jim Butcher, his uh, uh, Harry Dresden series. Uh, I met him before he'd sold at a convention and helped him um introduced him to my agent at the time i hope he's gone on because i've gone on to a different agent and um he 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 was a big fan uh, so harry dresden uh the jim butcher uh charlene harris she she's told me that uh sookie would not exist had she not read anita first um uh, Larry Correa, his Monster Hunter series, which is, uh, uh, very well written, uh, on world building, and characters are, uh, he writes some of the best female characters for a male writer, and I'm really picky on that, um, and then, uh, um, oh my god, I'm forgetting, I'm blanking, it's, it's a Swiss cheese kind of day, apparently, for me. Um,
0: <laughs> it's a Monday, I mean.
1: <laughs> uh, but um, Patricia uh, Briggs, Patricia Briggs, that's it. Because she also has said that, that uh, it was, uh, one of the things that inspired her to do hers was that. Um, uh, and... Um, uh, Kim Harrison, same thing, um, and, um, uh, Kat Adams, um, and also, um, uh, what's the Yellow Rock series? Uh, What's her name? I can see her. We've been on panels together. Um, uh, maybe I'll think of it before the end, but, um, I had the wonderful moment of sitting on a panel at DragonCon one year with a lot of the writers I've just listed. And I was so happy because the first series in this book, one of the things that they people rejected it for, for Anita, was that that nobody would read this. That nobody would read mixed genre, I should leave it to Charles lead that nobody would, um, uh, that, that nobody wanted it, that it wouldn't sell, that vampires were dead. And when I sat down there and looked and saw all the other writers in the genre that I had pioneered, I just went, yes, yes. See, everybody wanted to read it. That was not wrong. Um, oh, Faith Hunter. Faith Hunter, the Jane Yellow Rock series. Nice. Um, I mean, to to have been told that this would not sell. There was no market for it. Um, and to sit on a panel of so many writers that have uh, joined and uh, so many and, and to be told that I inspired so many writers to write their own series. And they've taken for most of them, they've taken such a different tact on it so that that it's just it's just such a wide genre. It, it's so much more and so much bigger and had so much more room to play for all of us. That that it's it's just you know I, I love it. It's kind of vindication that I wasn't wrong, and that everybody that said this wasn't going to work, well, you know, I've had the petty petty pleasure of having an editor uh, when I think book five or six had hit all the time all the all the bestseller lists, um, and they got into an elevator with me at, the, at World Fantasy and said um, said oh I wish I'd had a chance at Anita to buy Anita and her rejection letter had been particularly vicious and I remembered it and I said I smiled sweetly and I said but you did and I repeated her rejections letter back to her and then I got smiled sweetly and stepped off the elevator <laughs> it doesn't get more petty pleasure than that does it
0: I mean and, and you kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier with your professor that you just kind of you just kind of dig in.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it it was, but it yeah, and I had so many people tell me this wouldn't work that you couldn't do this, and now and now you know um, then it proliferated, um, and you had and then Twilight came and. <laughs> Uh, and so now everybody jumped on the bandwagon. I mean, there is a subgenre of cozy mysteries with supernatural elements. I didn't even know that was a thing until two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, supernatural, far from mixing supernatural with other genres and other things being verboten or bad, it's, it's everywhere now, mm-hmm. which is absolutely amazing to me.
0: Yeah. Goodness. Um, can you tell the audience a little bit about what they can expect from Sucker Punch?
1: Um, well, I just had one of the, one of the people I was talking to saying that he'd never read my books, but he found it really accessible and that he started with that. I try to make every book as as standalone as I can so that you can come in cold because I think about the reader who's in the, you know, train station or, or airplane, you know, in the airport grabbing a book to get on and there's not room for 27 books on the shelf for just one author, there's just not room. So I think, how would I make that accessible to somebody who's never read me? So at least one person's told me I've succeeded, so there you go. Um, Anita's world is ours. It's modern world, everybody knows the monsters are real and you have to deal with them. Vampires and shapeshifters are considered too dangerous because they've tried to jail them and go through the regular system. And they have broken out of jail and killed even more people. So they've been deemed too dangerous for trial. So vampire executioners were like bounty hunters with, with kill privileges. And then that was too wild card. So the, the uh, vampire hunters have been grandfathered in if they could pass the firearms test to the US Marshal Service supernatural Branch. And so at this point in the series, Anita has gone from consulting with the police to having a badge of her own. But the, and so this case, sucker punches, she's out there with her badge, but this time a junior marshal wants her to consult because he thinks something's wrong. He he is afraid that the person, the shapeshifter, has been framed. And if he's been framed, he doesn't want to kill him. Because if you kill somebody, that, that has always been one of the great debates about, You know, uh, execution. Once you've executed somebody, if you find out later they're innocent, there's no take-backs. There's no, oh, I'm sorry, it's too late. And so instead of going in and hunting the monsters and saving the day that way, she is trying to solve the mystery and save a life. If he didn't do it, how can we keep him alive when there is an execute a warrant of execution in hand with his name on it hmm. um it it is it was very interesting to take her up to um to uh, the upper upper part of michigan which is beautiful uh with their first in college beautiful area of the country and because it's me I have to go to a beautiful area of the country and go, Oh my God, this is so gorgeous. I wonder where I can put bodies here and what violent thing I can write.
0: (laughs) That 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 must really give you (laughs) pleasure.
1: It it is how my mind works. And I have made what could have been a really peculiar personality trait turn into a a lucrative career. (laughs) Um, uh, And This is our world. This is our world with with the monsters real. Everybody knows they're real. And the legal system has had to deal with them top to bottom. Um, When the series starts in Guilty Pleasures, it's only been four years since the court case that changed the status of vampires from being dead as something you could kill on sight just for being a vampire with no legal percussions to citizens with rights. And who, if you killed without provocation, it's murder. That had only changed four years before when the series starts. Hmm. Well, and Lecanthrop uh, uh, shape shifters, there's still some of the uh, Western states where varmint laws apply to them. And if you kill them and can prove from a blood test later that they carry, uh, they carry the disease, then it's a, clean, it's a clean shoot. Because they're still not considered fully human in some states. Um, but federally they are. And one of the interesting things that's been happening during this, the pandemic is everybody says, well, why can't we be more like Europe? Well, um, the United States is the United States is more like the EU wanted to be. Each state has many more separate rights that federal law can't take away or change. It's not that easy. And we are one of the few countries in the world that work like that. And it's both a blessing and a curse <laughs> um, that crossing the state line can change some very serious laws for you. And it does the same thing in Anita's world, too. Um, it's been interesting trying to explain how different our country works. Most people don't, still don't understand how specialized our system of government is because of how independent each state is. It's it's very unusual in this day and age. It's always been unusual.
0: Yeah. Um, kind of a twofold question, uh, but how do you continue to keep Anita Blake a fresh and interesting character for so many novels, and what is it about her do you think is most appealing to readers?
1: Um, I keep her fresh because she's like, She's like one of she's like my imaginary best friend kind of thing or that you know you don't get tired of people that you enjoy spending time with so that's part of it. I truly do still love sitting down to write Anita and um, I won't mention names, but I've actually had people with long-running series and they said how how do you keep them fresh? how do you keep interested and 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 part of it is that I gave myself enough toys. It's mystery. It genuinely is a mystery series. It genuinely is horror. It genuinely is a thriller. It genuinely is uh, kind of backed into it being a romance, uh, that you have relationships. It's funny. It's funny. If you put relationships on stage and you're a woman, then you write romance. If you're a man, you're a thriller. (laughs) I've never understood that. so odd, right? no go ahead no
0: i said it's so odd isn't it
1: yeah the the there's still a lot of of uh double standards still out there um i keep it fresh because i i love the world and i do copious research every time um i have research i didn't use in crimson death for the first trip to ireland first trip of nita out of out of the country that i hope to reuse because i didn't get to it and so i think part of it is the amount of research i do part of it is how much i love the world and i don't know how to teach other writers that but i would say choose things you already love i already loved horror i already loved monsters i and monster movies i already loved um i already loved mysteries i already loved all that and i put it in one place, one toy box for me to play with all of it. Um, and Anita Anita gets to say a lot of the things we all wish we could say out loud. And before the internet, we actually didn't even say them online. Um, she gets to say all those things that we're thinking. And I get a lot of people saying that, you know, she's so strong that she, she helps them be strong, that, that, you know, women will leave abusive relationships and they'll tell me because they knew Anita wouldn't take it. Um, I have readers that say that they've gone to rehab because Nathaniel went to rehab and stayed sober and it's helped them with their own sobriety. You know, 27 books in people really become invested and, and my imaginary friends have become their imaginary friends. And I try to think about that every time I sit down that, that, people are going to read it and they're going to take much more from it than I originally intended. I was just writing. I didn't think about ever being this level of popularity and you know, um, it's still amazing to me and, um, uh, it, I, I think that's a phenomenal
0: answer. I mean, it, it is kind of amazing to to see those kind of stories that populate from your readership, though. That you know, it, it's things that maybe you didn't even, you know, obviously you probably didn't even intend, and you know, all these wonderful things kind of come out of it. Uh, on top of people enjoying what you write,
1: they do. And um, I love the fact that Anita's strength, which I was raised by my grandmother, and I was raised that you didn't need a man, that, that you could do, you had to do it yourself. And so I didn't know there was an option to not be strong, but I now understand that the way I was raised, the strength I was raised with, I have put into Anita, and she gets to share that with other people that I would never see in person maybe, which is a wonderful thing. And um, I also have had uh, more than one person come and put down a picture of their children. And when the first time it happened, Lady sat down on a thing and she pointed to the baby in the picture of three children. She says, that one's yours. And I looked at her and I think, I thought, and I said, one. I, said I think I remember that. <laughs> and she then explained that a new Mary book had come out, uh, Mary or Anita book had come out and they got carried away and forgot to use contraception. And so their third <laughs> child is my fault.
0: Um, uh, that's got to be the yeah. topper, huh? <laughs> the story that tops them all. No, no,
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, hard to pick just one. Um, I mean, uh, Jim Butcher talked about this. That people have told him that they read his books while well, horrible, horrible things are happening. He's he's had this too. He seems to deal with it better than me. Um, I. I write great books. Nobody's book can get you through some of the things that people have said they've read my books through. And I love the fact that they find that kind of strength and everything. Uh, The couple who told me that I will cry if I'm not careful, that their child was dying of cancer and they read my books to each other to get them through that. Goodness. I write. I write. I just don't. I can't imagine going through that, first of all. I just can't. And, but that my books help them. I, I can't, I can't take credit for that. That's, right. that's kind of a magic that's beyond the actual printed page. It's, it's, it's to find something in somebody that they can take such comfort from in such dire straits. You can't plan that. You can't even imagine that. I, I, That's just one story and that kind of thing it's it's it leaves me speechless it leaves me speechless when they tell me in person and you know uh we just finished signing a whole bunch of sucker punch and the two stores uh we approached a lot of stores in the chaos two stores uh two two main stores working with and I personalized. They sent strips of paper with personalized. And people told me their stories. They told me what's happening during, you know, during during lockdown. The you know, and a lot of it had nothing to do with COVID. It had to do with with uh, you know losing your mother from something else. It had to do with uh, divorce. It had to do with. They tell me all this, and then they want something signed in the book that will help them feel better. And it's like, I don't I don't know what to put. What do I put? If they're in person, I'll say something. And it's easier to come up with words to a person than write something on the page after reading something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very. It's overwhelming and humbling and. You know, I write what I want to read and I I am lucky enough that, you know, some of the other people that have come up, you know, they are also wonderful and, um, I, I, I do, I, I do read, I have read some of Larry Korea and Jim Butcher, of course, and, uh, Charlene Harrison and, uh, you know, and I'm, I've got some of the others, you know, on my list, on my, on my, on my to be read pile. I have to say that that is one thing I'm actually doing during all this. I'm actually going through my big stacks of boxes of to be read books, And um, that is one thing I'm finally getting to. (laughs)
0: So uh, last question I've got for you. So what are you working on now?
1: Um, I am working on a short novel called Raphael, which does feature on the main stage, uh, Raphael, who is the rare rat king of St. Louis. And now at this point, the books of the entire United States. So uh, a lot of people uh, have asked for more details on the were-rats, and Raphael in particular, and Claudia, who is an amazing female character who, who is, uh not gotten as much screen time, and this book will certainly satisfy uh, that. It's, it, it's all about the were-rats, though I still write first-person narration, so yes, before someone asks. Uh, Anita is still the viewpoint character. It's still first person.
0: <laughs> um, well, Laurel, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on today and, and chatting uh, about your your life, your writing uh, about Sucker Punch that comes out tomorrow, uh, August the 4th. But uh, everybody that's listening in, if you're not already following her, uh, you can find Laurel on Twitter at uh, LKHamilton. You can also find her on Instagram, uh, official underscore LK Hamilton on facebook at laurel k hamilton official and you can find her on our website at laurelkhamilton.com. Uh, and again sucker punch which is the 27th book in the anita blake vampire hunter series it comes out tomorrow august 4th so make sure you go out and grab a copy and uh and laurel just thank you again for coming on and i wish you the best of luck with uh, with this book and future novels uh and maybe we could do this again uh close to your next release
1: well, thank you very much. It's been wonderful to be on with you, and uh, you know, stay safe out there.
0: Uh, you do the same, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And good luck tomorrow with your with pub day.
1: <laughs> thank you so much.
0: Uh huh. Bye bye now. Bye bye. For those of you who have not had the opportunity to check out Laurel's works, here is an audio excerpt courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio from Sucker Punch, read by Kimberly
2: Alexis. The tiny plane landed in the dark, on a runway that felt way too short. When the plane finally skidded to a stop, I couldn't make my right hand let go of the armrest. Literally, I'd held on so tight that my hand had locked up, as if holding on tight would have done a damn bit of good if the plane had wrecked. The pilot turned his head to look at me and give me a thumbs up. I just stared at him, my heart in my throat. I was phobic of flying, and this bumpy trip in a four-seater Cessna hadn't done a damn thing to quiet my fears. He took off his headset and said, oh, come on, it wasn't that bad, was it? He smiled when he said it. I glared at him until his smile faltered. I was projecting badass, while the only mantra in my head was, I will not throw up. I will not throw up only knowing that a man's life hung in the balance had gotten me to climb into the progressively smaller planes until this final one. Well, welcome to Hanneman, Michigan, Marshal Blake, the pilot said at last and opened the door. As I pried my hand free of its death grip, I wondered again why I was doing this. Because it's your job, I thought. I kept telling myself that as I gathered my bags and fitted the big one through the door ahead of me. The pilot said, That bag's big enough to hold a body. Only if it was my size or smaller, though I guess I could cut it up and make almost anyone fit, I said, as I got the rest of me and the smaller bag through the door and down onto the tarmac. Very funny, the pilot said. I gave him the flat look until he said, What's really in the bag? Weapons, a man said, as he walked toward us in the last light of the setting sun. I'd had just a moment to see the forest, and then it was dark as if someone had turned the lights off. You know you're in the boondocks when it's that dark even before you step into the trees. In their shade, it would be cave dark. I smiled at Marshall Winston Newman. He was as tall as the first time I'd met him, as in over six feet, but had more meat on his bones as if he was either gaining weight or gaining muscle. I'd have to see him in better light to be sure whether he was hitting the gym or hitting the donuts. His hair was still short underneath his white cowboy hat, but the hat wasn't brand new anymore. The brim had been worked with his hands so that it made an almost sharp point over his face. It fit him now. When I'd first met him, the hat had struck me as a present from someone who hadn't really known him or wanted him to be more cowboy than he'd seemed. He offered to take a bag so I could shake his hand, and I let him take it. I'd have done the same for him. Thanks for flying out at the last minute, Blake. I appreciate you reaching out on this. I almost added rookie, but he wasn't one anymore. He was newer than me, but then most marshals in the preternatural branch were. There were only eight of us from the old days. Everyone else was either dead, worse than dead, or retired. Thanks for helping me out, Jim, Newman said to the pilot, who was standing by his plane watching us. The Marshan family has been around here a long time, and Bobby is my friend, Marshall Newman. I appreciate you trying to give him a chance. You understand that if Bobby Marshan did this, then I will have to execute him, Newman said. If he killed old man Marshan, then he'll have earned it. But Bobby has been an iloranthrope since just after we graduated high school. He had it under control. I was surprised that Jim knew the politically correct term for cat-based lycanthropy, Sorry for therianthropy, which was the new term for all of it, since it didn't imply wolf, like lycanthropy did. But a lifetime of using it as a general term was going to be hard to break for me. That's what everyone tells me. Thanks again, Jim. Marshall Blake and I have to get over to the sheriff's office. He started moving toward a big Jeep Wrangler that was parked in the grass beside the runway. Duke is a good man, Newman. He's just never seen anything like this. Newman kept us moving toward the jeep as he called back over his shoulder. I'm not questioning Sheriff LeDuc's competency, Jim. Good, but you watch out for his deputy, Wagner. That made Newman stop and look back at the pilot. What's wrong with Wagner? He gets rough when he thinks he can get away with it. Does the sheriff know? Newman asked. I don't know, but everybody else in town does. Thanks for the heads up, Jim. Not a problem. I hope you and Marshal Blake work this out. Me too, Jim. Me too, Newman said as he opened the back door and tossed my bag of weapons in.